0: Welcome to the Rockin' Life podcast, Rockin' Life After Divorce. And today we have Joseph again. Welcome to the show, Joseph. How are you? I am doing really well. Friday night, getting ready for the weekend. Have some tennis lined up here this evening and tomorrow morning. Do you have anything fun going on tomorrow?
1: Tomorrow, no, but it's my son's birthday this week, so we're having people over Sunday for his birthday.
0: Oh, that would be Awesome. Yeah, I just want to share a little bit about the podcast. People are listening in the first time. It's so fun to have you on again. Your first episode was highly liked, a lot of comments, people that are emailing in and asking questions. And they wanted to hear more stories. They want to hear about your life, but maybe zooming in a little bit more and also about dating. So we're going to run into a little bit of dating and a few questions there. And it will be interesting. I'm a little bit like a detective. So a little short introduction of you and the podcast. So the vision of the podcast, the Rocking Life After Divorce, and the community, the Facebook community is to be like a catalyst for for people that are struggling after breakup because both you and I know how difficult it is when you're in the middle of it. And that's when you need to have people around you that support you and help you and coaches and counselors that can lead you the way. And I usually compare it to rock climbing. It's called Rock in Life, but rock climbing, the community when you climb indoors is so much like life. You have people that climb and then you hit a big stumble and you can't make it over that stumble. But then you ask somebody for help and they can give you like a hack. How do you get around a certain path? And it's so much like life Sometimes you just hit these big roadblocks and it feels like somebody has come around and kind of like stopped you in your path. And how do you get around those things? And I think it's so important to have awesome friends, to have people around you that can actually help you. But men sometimes a difficulty asking for help. Has that happened to you?
1: Friends have not had a hard time asking me for help just because they've seen what I've gone through and they know that I'm transparent and I've talked about it a lot. For myself, it was hard to talk about just because I didn't know where to turn. Okay. A lot of men you just don't see talk about certain things. And what made me open up more than anything was I was at an event for work and a guy actually talked about an eating disorder. So men talking about an eating disorder, just like relationships and anything else, you don't see it that often. And when I saw him have the courage to get up and talk about that, It made me realize, okay, so if he can talk about his issues and what he's going through and why can't I do it? So that kind of gave me the encouragement and the power to open or voice what I was going through, create the group that I wanted to first look, but then just start to talk because I felt like the more that I started talking, I couldn't shut my mouth. And it just became therapeutic for me.
0: I know that you're an educator, you're a teacher, but you're also a former bartender, And being a bartender, I know they usually are used to talking with other people. And would that be something that would help you or?
1: I don't know if anybody can relate to this. I don't know how old some of the listeners are, but do you ever see the movie over the top with Sylvester Stallone? Yeah. He has that one scene where he says he turns his hat around and he becomes a different person. A lot of teachers are introverts. And teachers know this because when it comes time for back-to-school night or parent conferences, they freeze and they don't like talking in front of a group of people. When I'm at a bar and I'm with my friends and I'm on the other side of the bar as a customer, it's impossible for me to talk to anyone, a woman, it doesn't matter. I always have, get social anxiety. On the other side of the bar, it's Sylvester Stallone turning that hat around. There's that two feet of wood that, as a buffer that I have between me and the customer. And I can be anybody I want to be. Oh, wow. (laughs) I am the therapist to a lot of customers. I'm very sarcastic. I'm just a completely different person because no matter what, at the end of the day, if you need a drink, you have to come to me. Yeah. And if I don't like your attitude for some reason, I can tell the other bartenders not to serve you. So it's a power trip or the type of empowerment that I have where I can be a different person. But I also, too... If you remember the show Cheers, that's the bars that I've worked at. I would see people pull up and I would look out the window and I would see their car and I would have their drink waiting for them before they walked in the door. So a lot of my regulars became very close friends. And it was a way for me to voice my frustrations. It was a way for me to talk. And when you go to your local bar and you do have those type of clientele and the bartender, you do form those relationships. And it is, it's like therapy. My yeah. father was a barber, and I can show you an article after this call's over where it was the same thing. He was also a bartender, too, and I've learned from him. Your barber is that person you talk to to get out the things that you normally wouldn't talk about.
0: Yeah, I agree. Are you an introvert? Yes. Okay. I'm an introvert myself, but a lot of people don't see that. But I classify an introvert as somebody that needs time by yourself to recharge. And an extrovert is somebody that needs to be among people to recharge. And I definitely have to have my alone time.
1: See, for me, I'm a very outgoing person when I know people. So Same say here. we were friends and I was going to meet you at a party or somewhere at a bar. In the past, I would not want to meet you inside the place. I would want to meet you outside first while I'm walking in with you. It would be hard for me to go to a place where I don't know anybody and walk in. Yeah, I would get nervous. I would freeze. I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what to do. It was social anxiety. I've always been that way until recently because I got to the point where I have to face my fears. The only way to get over a fear is doing things that are uncomfortable over and over and over again. Before uh, I
0: I'm in the same way. And in big settings when I don't know people, I'm very quiet. And, but whenever I start getting to know people, I'm very sociable. And it's, like, it's just a little awkward for me sometimes when I'm along a lot of people that I, I don't know but I can totally relate to you when it comes to the person that opened up about anxiety, because it just shows somebody that can do that. It shows maturity. It shows that it's a real person and also that he or she is probably hurting. And I had a very good friend of mine and we just went to a restaurant and he just opened up about anxiety, that he was dealing with a lot of anxiety. And then I shared about my divorce and Now, very good friends. I think it's important to know who you share with. You shouldn't share with everybody your whole life story. But to have awesome friends and close friends that you can share difficulties with is very good, I think, to have a few of those friends. Exactly. And we're going to talk a little bit about dating today. And my experience is I haven't actually been dating for quite some time. Right after the divorce, I started dating for about a year But my experience was that I didn't feel that I was ready to date. I felt I was dating for the wrong reason because I was just dating because I was lonely. It wasn't because I was extremely lonely directly after the divorce. And I think it's one of the most common things that people that go through divorce have to deal with, that loneliness, especially if you have a family with kids and suddenly you don't see your kids, you don't see your spouse, etc. You're sitting by yourself in an apartment And how did you deal with that? And how did you move into dating and that experience?
1: The first thing I did was I immersed myself into work. Okay. I needed something to kill time. And plus it was the summer. So bartending as much as possible is what helped. But like you, I needed to keep myself busy. And I needed to meet people. I met my ex-wife when I was 17. And we got divorced when I was 37. So more than half my life, I've been with one person. And for me, it was about meeting people and getting out there to see what was actually out there. I know I met people at the bar, but I didn't know what it was like to actually date somebody. I think the funniest date I've ever been on was, I think I was going through my divorce, and I'm sitting at the bar with this girl, and I'm uncomfortable, very uncomfortable, and everybody could tell. And she said, what is wrong with you? And I said, the last time I was on an actual date, my mother had to drop me off and pick me up from the movie theater. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So, And I was in my late 30s. Yeah. So could you imagine the last time I was on it, I actually went out, was I couldn't drive or I didn't have a license or a car. I had to get a ride. Now I'm out with somebody. I didn't know what to do or what to say. It's, it was just awkward. Like I said, being on the other side of the bar as a bartender, I can say whatever I want. Uh. But now when I'm sitting on the side with that girl, it's Yeah, no, it wasn't a comfortable experience.
0: Yeah. So how did that go?
1: Oh, it didn't go over well at all. (laughs) It was funny for everybody, but that was the the last time I saw
0: her. Yeah. So going into dating and uh, going dating after divorce, do you think, some people think it's uh, just healthy to just run into dating, or do you need a period of time before you start dating after an actual divorce?
1: I think it depends on the individual. I can give you two scenarios, and both are for me. After my divorce, I should have taken more time. I wasn't ready, but I also needed to... It's not not that I didn't want to be alone, because I felt like I was alone the last couple years of my marriage, and I know a lot of people can relate to that. Even though you're with somebody, you still feel like you're not with that person, so you do feel alone. I wasn't ready because I wasn't in the right state of mind to realize what my patterns or problems were, Or what my issues may or may not have been. Because I was so angry at my ex-wife that it wasn't me, it was her. So there's nothing wrong with me. And I know at that time I should have waited. Like I said the last time on my podcast, my last relationship was just as bad. But the thing was, during that relationship, since everything was my fault, I was going to the... I was getting therapy... I was getting the help that I needed, and I realized what my patterns were, and it wasn't all me. And when I reconnected with somebody from my past, somebody I've been interested in since I was a kid, even though there were certain things that stuck with me from that breakup because there was a lot of trauma between it, and it's all about patterns and realizing what happened in your childhood, I didn't want to wait anymore because I've watched this girl walk away for 30-plus years. Okay. And I knew in the last two years of the relationship I was in, it wasn't going to last. And every time I ran into her, I've liked you since I was 13. I'm thinking to myself, I've liked you since I was 13. What the hell am I doing? And it got to the point where the relationship ended. I asked her out. Things went great. And I said, I need more time. And she understood, and she's been a blessing. I don't know what else to say but a blessing. So I know after my divorce, I didn't. I should have taken more time because I probably did hurt some people, that. and I didn't do it purposely. I just wasn't in the right state of mind to understand what I was doing. After this last relationship, even though the breakup was just as bad as a divorce, I met the right person at the right time. So waiting, I didn't have to because I realized what mistakes I did made. I realized what patterns I had that would destroy a relationship. And the great thing about this relationship is we talk. We do have disagreements, but we don't argue. I don't get yelled at. She doesn't get yelled at. There's no name calling. It's an actual adult relationship to where when I told her I needed time, it was the first time I've ever been that honest with somebody that I might need to date other people because I don't know what the heck is going on in my mind. But also too, it wasn't physical first. I think a lot of times when we meet somebody, it's very physical. And then the emotion comes later. Like you let the walls down, you get attached to somebody physically, then emotionally. Her was very emotional first. And then it became physical to where it's a bond that I can't explain. And I said this last night and I didn't mean it in a bad way. If God forbid anything ever happened, and we it didn't work out. It's a different type of bond that I have where I care about her that much. I just want to see her happy. And she feels that way about me, but I just know for a fact, and this is me, I can't picture myself without her. And I've never had that feeling before in my life. It's been seven months and I still get butterflies seeing her.
0: Usually you say the first two years you fall in love, but is that not just the first of a relationship?
1: When I let my guard down, it's easier for me to fall. And it was, it's funny because a friend of mine, she is a psychiatrist and she says, oh, looks like you've fallen in love. Uh. And she said that a couple times. She's like, you just couldn't ignore what I said? So for the first time, I don't know how to answer that question anymore because I always felt like there needed to be this overwhelming feeling. And she's like, that society that puts this stigma on what falling in love is. Like all I know when I say this a lot and everybody laughs, she's like a giant Xanax pill. <laughs> there is no overwhelming feeling. I just know when I'm with her, I'm at peace. I know she's my best friend. I know she has my back. I have her back there's no question or doubt in my mind how she feels about me.
0: Yeah.
1: And for me, that means more than anything because I've never had anything like this before. In the past, with other people, I always did question, do they really love me? What is that? Aren't I supposed to feel something? And I remember saying this before, this is a boring relationship and the fact that there is no drama.
0: <laughs> and all
1: those other relationships I did have, I, I had drama. Yeah. Whether it was my ex-wife The last ex or people that I dated in between, there was some type of drama, but right now there isn't. And this is so much different than anything I've ever experienced. And that's why I'll always, I I won't ever compare, but I just know it's different in so many good ways to where if this is what in love is, then I'll say yes.
0: So if you look at your past relationship, I know you shared that there was a lot of drama And uh, this podcast is not about bashing exes. I I refuse to have that. It doesn't lead anywhere, but you can learn from past experiences and past relationships. So have you gone into a relationship in a different mindset now? Or what is the difference from your perspective?
1: The difference is, and this goes back to childhood. I was the type of person, and I told you about the books that I've read, and one of talks about attachments when we were kids in our household, it was all conditional love. Explain. So me as a child, I had abandonment issues. Yeah. So I had to prove on why you didn't, you didn't have to leave me. Or if you did, I knew how to get you back. Or I knew how to prove my worth or my love to get from you to not leave me. So when I started dating people, if things went right, didn't feel comfortable because they wanted to stay. And I remember times where my ex-wife would say, I don't think you're upset enough. This isn't going to work. I would try to cry on purpose. You're talking about an 18 or 19 year old kid. So this is stuff that happened not too long ago. I see this now. I'm like, what the heck am I thinking? But even in my last relationship, I would be blocked. I would do things to aggravate the person and get them to the point where I needed to be. But to get blocked and have that abandonment feeling, I'd have to go to the extra step. No, you have to come back, and this is why. I, you don't have to leave. This is why. And taking a step away from those relationships and seeing what happened from the time I was a kid, that I'm still having these behaviors now with specific people, it was what really clicked. I know with the girl I'm with now, she knows everything about me. She knows why I have flashbacks or I get angry at people. Even when, they're not even when they're not around anymore. It's not an issue anymore, but she was understanding enough or tried to understand to the point where, okay, you do need more time. So if I didn't recognize those patterns, yeah. I wouldn't be with her right now. I'd be with the same people that, would, I'd, that I'd have to chase for. And if I found a good person like her, I would have pushed her away already yeah. because it's too easy. I don't have to chase. I know she cares.
0: When you say flashbacks, can you explain that and patterns? You, you, you name a few like patterns and flashbacks. And the, I don't know if it's triggers. That uh, triggers you in a certain way?
1: If somebody's going to hang up on me, I have to call back. If you're going to block me from calling or emailing you, if you live down the street, I'm going to wind up going to your house, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. I have to prove that I'm right here that... It's gonna work. I'll fix it. I'll make it work.
0: Okay. So if somebody abandons you, you have to get back. Yep. Yeah. I'll.
1: It's just like at home. I'll fix it. I'll make it better. Yeah. What do I have to do for you to love me again? Yeah. So now that I don't have that, and then and the people that I've met that weren't that way, I ended the relationship with because I wasn't ready for it because I didn't understand why the relationship wasn't working or why I was so bored. I was so bored because there was no drama. It worked. They were normal people. Yeah. Not saying that the people in my past weren't normal, but who I'm with now, she's understanding. She gets it. And those patterns, I do get anxious when I'm around her because there is no excitement or drama in the sense that we're going to fight. I'm not waiting for a shoe to drop. So I don't, as time goes on, I'm getting used to it. But it's that, what is it, the serotonin they say that you get that fix? Yeah. I haven't had that in months to where it's becoming a lot easier. And the more that I'm away from all the drama and the narcissistic stuff.
0: Yeah. I think we're going to get into that in another episode about the kids. Because that's, for me, deep to my heart. Like uh, when it comes to dating, you, you mentioned narcissistic tendencies. And there's so many relationships I think everybody has uh, personality changes, personality disorders, whatever, a little bit more or less. And I don't like labeling. I don't like people calling people's names, and, et etc. But uh, I think p- some people have more of those than others. And how did that affect your relationship, if you want to share that?
1: Nobody said it. The only person that told me what was actually going on was uh, my friend who's a psychiatrist. She said, you're being gaslighted. Okay. And she knew exactly what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. Yeah. She told me like, Joe, this is what, this is what's going to happen. You need to be prepared. Joe, this is what you need to do. And the things I didn't want to do. So the only person I would listen to being labeled was her. Nobody else said anything about my relationships or who I dated. What I hear now is you look so much happier. Why didn't you tell me anything then? We didn't want to upset you or it's not our place. But apparently some, even your close friends that aren't happy with the relationship that you're in might not say anything because they don't want to overstep. And that's how my friends have always been. They're the type of people you'll learn on your own. I did have friends who told me to, you need to stop. You don't understand what you're doing. You're worth a lot more. This person doesn't respect you. There's so much better out there. I wasn't ready to listen. And I think the more that people, it's your parents, they tell you not to smoke, you're going to smoke. They tell you not to drink, you're going to drink. The more that people tell you not to do something, you're going to do it, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult. So I think it's up to you to see what's actually happening. And if you want to stay in it, you're going to stay in it.
0: For example, I don't have a weight problem. I have people around me that do, but it doesn't matter how much I share about trying to help them, it doesn't help, but I can uh, live a healthy life and eat healthy. So be an example.
1: If I didn't know my patterns last year, if my ex would ask me back, I would probably go to run to her. If I heard from her now, (laughs) I wouldn't even pick up the phone. Yeah, because I know what I have now. Yeah, and the thing is, I know that I've done the work. I've realized my patterns. So it's like going back to somebody said this as a car. If an ex tries to get back with you, you're going back to the same model version of a car that you used to have if they've never done the work but the person that's done the work is the new model the new version of the person that they used to be so who i'm with now has who i used to be and who i am now because she's got the better version because i've done the work because i've realized the patterns and the only thing that my friends would say now is nothing negative it's just the smile on your face is more genuine And they say it about my son, too. The smile on his face is more genuine. You could tell that you guys are happier together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that whenever you are in a good place, that's going to reflect in your friends and family, too. It's like uh, when you have strife and continuous, uh, and that's in any relationship. It doesn't have to be a romantic relationship uh, among friends, etc. If you don't have that within you, it's going to show up around you.
1: Yes. It's like I said, everything's changed because I recognized the patterns because I've done the work. If you don't do the work on yourself, you're going to wind up dating the same people. Yeah. I remember when I was single last year, when I went back on the dating sites, it was the same people I saw five years ago. Oh, yeah. So it's just they're being recycled. I yeah. don't like to use that word because I was one of those people, but I'm just glad that I did the work that I needed to do because I wouldn't be here now. Yeah, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be in another probably crappy relationship arguing with somebody else by now. And
0: <laughs> yeah. I started dating on the dating sites for about a year. This is a few years ago and I haven't gone back. I don't know if that's for me actually, the, da- the online dating, it just feels so weird. It's very difficult to get to know somebody over texting. And I think for me, it's more natural to join a tennis club, golf club, to have a more of an organic way of meeting people. It almost feels overwhelming with the online dating where you have a bunch of people that you can look through and scroll through and try to get to know and figure out what are they like, etc. It's just nuts.
1: That's one of the biggest problems I've had was because number one, everybody has a filter. Yeah. You don't know what they truly look like until you are with
0: that person in person. Yeah. and more so what are they like what's inside
1: my biggest gripe was when i would ask for a phone number to call because i didn't want to message back and forth yeah. and i i don't want to call i don't want to give you my number i don't know who you are and my thing was listen i can't go back and forth and message anymore if we're going to go out and go to a bar or a restaurant or golf, whatever we're going to do for an hour or two hours, if I can't have a five to 10 minute phone conversation with you, how the heck am I going to see you in person to see what's there? Because I don't want to sit at the restaurant or just having that uncomfortable silence. Yeah. If we can't have a conversation on the phone, why can't we have a, how are we going to have a conversation in person?
0: Yeah. No, I actually think uh, partially it's good and good with the COVID in that way, because a lot of people do more online phone calls and video instead of meeting in person I think that's a good actually a good first step to get to know somebody if it's even a chance to have a date and actually that's what I used to do as well I would ask let's just jump on a phone call and, and chat for half an hour and see see if there's a connection
1: we're talking about this now and we're about the same age I can see from my kids it's a lot different and the only reason why I realize this was my brothers and sisters and my mom yesterday said, we're trying to call Joey for his birthday, and we can't leave him a voicemail. He doesn't have his voicemail set up. I don't think anybody his age has.
0: None of my kids has it.
1: Why would we have voicemail? You could just text. Uh, And I'm thinking this, everything has changed. The uh, art of having a conversation has gone. These kids won't know how to hold a conversation.
0: Yeah, and I think that's very... I think it's destructive because so much disappears within connecting if you only text because texting is very crude and it's so easy to be be misunderstood. It's so easy to to not be able to relay what you really want to say. And uh, you really need to talk. And that's what communication is only 7% is the words. 93% is body language and how you say things.
1: Anytime you get a text, you can think about how you're going to respond. Yeah. In a conversation, when you're with somebody, you're there. They can see your expression. They can see the mood that you're in. There's no hiding. Exactly. And that's what I like about it. When I was looking for jobs in public speaking, there's one of the colleges that's looking for an adjunct to teach networking, teaching students how to network with people. And it's not even public speaking. It's just teaching them how to have a conversation. Because when corporations, it's not happening now because of COVID, but corporations would send these people out at networking events. They were coming back with no leads. Some of these kids were, or you're going to say adults, even in their mid-20s, did not know how to start a conversation. I mean, taking public speaking was just about getting up in front of a room and talking to a bunch of other people your age. Now it's about, all right, now you have to get up, introduce yourself and start a conversation with somebody that you don't know. It doesn't have to be a room full of people. It's just one or two others.
0: Yeah.
1: So if we're having a problem with this now, just with work, how are we going to do this in dating? And I found it difficult when I was dating at my age, because I figured they're about the same age as me. Why can't we talk on the phone? Yeah.
0: No, I think uh, connecting and really getting to know people, and that's the key And when you start dating, is to share who you really are. Because if you're just going to have, have a start a relationship and and not share who you really are, it's just fake. And um, I had a real hard time being authentic uh, prior to the divorce, and I shared that. I started to, in the end, towards the, the, the marriage, I went through counseling, marriage counseling, and uh, I started to open up, and then... After the divorce, I actually, to learn how to connect with people, I think I shared that on the last podcast, on the airplanes back and forth to Sweden, because I flew back and forth all the time, I would start talking to people on the airplane, and uh, I would initiate contact. When I sat down, uh, I just would say, are you going uh, to work or are you going going home? And then start seeing if they want to have a conversation. And then initiate the conversation with just regular stuff like weather and sports, but then get into a little bit more deep things like sharing about my divorce. And a lot of these discussions became truly amazing. I had, it was actually on my first podcast, I shared that I talked to one person for seven hours over the Atlantic. Seven hours <laughs> we talked, nonstop, almost. And it was another guy that listened to the podcast. Is it really true you talk for seven hours? Yeah, it's actually true. (laughs) But it's like when you really connect and get to know people and you ask questions instead of telling your story, start becoming interested in them. That's what's so awesome. And that's what builds connection. Builds when you're interested in them. Because so many people want to tell everything, how great you are, etc. But that's that's not how you really connect with people. You need to be authentic.
1: And you have to be interested in what they have to say and really listen.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's what I think I really learned from talking on the airplanes. That was uh, truly uh, a therapy for me to talk to these people and learning how to communicate and how to deeply connect with people. But I think it's a little bit like you said about the bartending. I felt safe there because i know i'm never going to meet that person again i
1: don't know that don't
0: say- <laughs> <laughs> no but most likely <laughs> so I, I was because i was very concerned about I, I was had so much shame i dealt with when it came to the divorce and i didn't want to talk to people about it especially people that that knew me and people in church etc but then when i started sharing about it all the shame just dissipated And uh, I don't have any problems sharing about the the divorce. And I've gotten distance to it as well. But no, I think it's great when you're dating. I think it's important to be yourself. Maybe not on on, uh, the first date, but I think it's important to quickly becoming being you and not pretending.
1: The only other issue I find with dating too is when I was out there is the phone. Everybody, they're... I listened to a, it wasn't a podcast. It was a video. It was Simon Sinek. Yeah. It's called the millennial question. And he was talking about dating, how you don't, my kids will never have to know what it's like to ask a girl out because I swipe left or right. But when I look, when I'm down in a restaurant and when I'm with my girlfriend or I'm with my kids or with family, I look around and I'll see a family of four and all four heads are in their own phones, not talking to one another.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: But this all happens on dates, too. I can meet somebody for the first time. The girl's on her phone. She's not interested in me. She's interested on whoever's story she's looking at on Facebook, whoever Instagram she's looking at, whoever she's texting. You're telling that person that you're not important as what's on the screen of my phone. Yeah. And I'm very old school. If I'm with my family. If I'm with somebody, like, I, I don't want the phones around. If it's an emergency, okay, but that can cause a lot of problems.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah, today's society with the phones, with social media, et cetera, it's definitely, uh, you, you have to be very intentional as a person and learn how to deal with it and set rules, how, how you yourself interact with social media, how you interact with people, etc. But it takes discipline. It definitely does. And that goes
1: even beyond dating because I see, when I'm observed as a teacher and I have my post-observation, I see some administrators talking to me and all of a sudden they're on their phone while I'm responding to their question. I could say anything. yeah, And because they're more interested in what they're replying to, they're not listening to what I have to say. Same thing on a date. If you're with somebody and she or he is on the phone, what you're saying is not... They're hearing you, but they're not listening to you. They're not taking it in. So you could say the sky is purple. Like, uh, really, that's... My, it, it won't comprehend. So it's a lot has changed, and maybe I'm just old school, but I just think the person that you're with should be important first. 15, 20 years ago, if I needed to get in touch with you, I'd have to call the restaurant.
0: Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't
1: have to call your cell phone. I wouldn't text you. I wouldn't have to... There's just so many things that are different now to where I take my old self. I have to take it out of the equation when I was dating because I had to be accustomed to where, all right, if she's going to be on the phone the entire time, is this what it would be like the next date or the date after, or do I have to say something now? So you'd have to really be honest with, do you mind just putting that away? Dating is a lot different and especially because of the stupid phone and social media. Everybody's got to take a picture of their dinner. Everybody's got to take a picture of their drinks. There always has to be a filter on what you look like. I just, so much has changed to where I think dating is harder now than it was years ago.
0: Yeah, and it's showing up something that's not actually, for example, in, in social media, in Facebook and Instagram, you have all the filters. You're showing up a perfect person, but we all have issues. We all have imperfections, and that's part of being human. And I think that's so important to be human, be real, be authentic when you're with people. Because if you're only going to show up this perfect self at dates and you start a relationship with that fake person, it's never going to last.
1: Nobody has imperfections now. There's filters for that.
0: <laughs> now I have a question regarding narcissism and narcissistic tendencies. When you're in, let's say, you have a listener right now that feel that everything is crazy. How do you know you're like dating somebody with issues etc. and do you have any like comments or ideas or recommendations?
1: It's a hard question for me to answer because I truly thought I was narcissistic. When you read about narcissism, you see a lot of things in yourself. And you realize that everybody does have some type of narcissistic tendency. Yeah. So we all have them. Every single person does. But then you start to own it. For me, everything was my fault. So when I was reading stuff about narcissism, I saw myself acting out as that person. I was the one doing this. I was the one doing... And it really got me nervous where I still talk to my girlfriend now. I'm like, I don't know why you're with me and she hates when I say that. But there was a term that somebody had me look up. I forget what it was called. It was something reverse abuse, reverse... The person who is being abused by the narcissistic person will think they're the one who's narcissistic. And I, when I, I'd have to look it up. But I don't want to look it up now, but the terms on the top of my head, I'm going to remember it as soon as we're not on the call anymore. So it's hard because there's things that I realized that I know that it wasn't all my fault. Yeah. But there are also things that in myself, I knew I could have manipulated situations to where I could get somebody to call me. I knew how to I knew how to manipulate people. I think we all know how to manipulate a situation. So there were things like, all right, so if I knew how to manipulate the person to calling me, am I narcissistic? So you have to really look at some of this stuff with a fine line and make sure that you don't own all of it. Yeah. The one thing that I can say is I know where I made my mistakes. I know where I was at fault and where I wasn't. So being out of the situation was a big help. Having friends who are therapists and um, psychiatrists really did make me see that, no, it wasn't your fault, you aren't a narcissistic person, because a narcissistic person won't get the help that they need exactly, to fix a problem and they're never going to admit yeah. that they're wrong,
0: and they don't want to get help.
1: And they always no. say that the narcissistic person has the crocodile tears. I remember getting upset and I cried. But the thing was, what was I doing wrong? Yeah. And I'll get help, but I actually did get help. But it wasn't for the relationship. I'm glad it was for myself because I wouldn't be in the place that I'm in now. So if you're in a narcissistic relationship or you think that you're in, there are so many support groups on Facebook. There are a lot of articles that you can read that will help you figure out what the red flags are. Yeah. If my one friend didn't tell me about gaslighting, I would never have known what it was. The only thing I think the difference is with me, and I can't say anything about what I was with, but I remember telling her the conversations and the emails, not the way that I saw it, but the way that it actually was. This is exactly what I did. And she would say you were wrong for doing what you did, but she would also say this is why you did it, not that it's right but you're being triggered because of this. Yeah. So it did help. She did, like I said, she did tell me where I was wrong, where I went fault, why it would cause this. But she also would tell me now this took it to another level to where this wasn't your fault. I was always, like I said, the one to blame. I was the one to blame since I was two years old. Wow.
0: Yeah, I think when you're in any relationship that's not, that is dysfunctional, it doesn't matter if narcissistic tendencies or other issues, getting help from a third party is very beneficial because a lot of times you are blind, you have blind spots, everybody has blind spots and to getting somebody that can look from a third view and see, okay, this was going on and, and get you uh, help. And it's a big difference between counselors and counselors too, to, to find somebody that you trust and that you, you can really, that is a good counselor that knows how to deal with it, I think that can be very beneficial. I
1: was going to say, what I appreciated the most was when it started to feel like therapy with my friend, she would stop and say, you need to talk to somebody because I don't want to cross that line. Yeah. I'm lucky to have had the people I have in my life, especially friends, just because of what they showed me. Yeah. yeah. And I had to learn on my own and she helped me out so much to where she even said, Your, a normal relationship for you is going to be boring. You need to recognize that. <laughs> and she's um, right. Because uh, this is one of the first relationships that I've had. And I didn't n- realize what she meant by boring. But I get anxious because I'm not anxious. Yeah. That's how thick it
0: is. Okay. So my question then, when these feelings of love, which most likely will dissipate in a long-term boring, quote, relationship... When you're married or when you have a long term relationship after 10, 20 years, uh, I think these feelings won't be there the whole time. What will happen then?
1: All I can say is but there is no, there's, I don't have that overwhelming feeling. Okay. What I know about this girl now, I'm going to say woman because I've had the same feeling I've had since I was 13. Okay. I'm going to be 46. Yeah. Every time I've seen her in the past 30-some-odd years, I get butterflies. Yeah. Every time she walks in the door, I get butterflies. So I don't know if that's ever going to go away. And if it does, it does. But I know I have this connection that I've never had with anybody else.
0: Yeah, I think that's the key right there, what you said about connecting. But also, I think, it's, I think a commitment is also important. I've been debating back and forth about marriage. I'm a Christian. I believe in marriage. I believe in commitment. And I think uh, when you fall in love, there is definitely a lot of feelings the first year or two. And, but then it's more where the commitment comes in because you can have your spouse get sick and uh, might have difficulties. And then if you can't work through those issues, then it's just going to be a new relationship and then a new relationship. I think just the commitment part is is also a very important ingredient in a relationship. But I also think marriage has its drawbacks, even though I believe in in marriage. I think it's kind of like you have this false security that you're locked in and you don't actually do the work that is required in any relationship to be this awesome friend and really make sure that it's a really awesome relationship.
1: And I agree with you because I always thought that I would never get married again in my entire life. And everybody I've dated, I've always said that. I'm never going to do it. It's a business contract. That's all it is. Because I can say I'm committed. I can do whatever the hell I want. But if this business doesn't work out, we need a lawyer and a judge to say it's finally over. Because yeah. we can't just split up. We need to have the state say, your relationship is now officially dissolved.
0: Yeah.
1: That I did not like. And I said to myself, I'll never in my life ever get married again. With her, I can't say that. She's turned yeah. everything upside down.
0: Yeah, wow. And like I said,
1: it's not this overwhelming feeling of feeling in love. I just know that she has my back. And I I've, I've felt that before with other people, but it wasn't to this extent of, like I said, this is somebody I've liked since I was a child. Yeah. <laughs> I was 13. So just to be able to connect with her now on this level is a lot different. And the whole thing about being married and marriage, it's even harder now, especially after divorce, and you're trying to blend families. Because now it's not, all right, can we live together? Who's going to leave the toothpaste out? Who, it, it, those are things that you have to worry about when you're dating, with some, dating somebody and you get married, and then you have kids. But now the fact that we're adults, we do have our kids, we are set in our ways. Now we have to bring our kids together. How are our kids going to live together? Yeah. So there's so many other factors on top of just getting married because if you have children, you're taking in somebody else's family. And if they have another parent, such as a father, yeah. I'm not going to be their father at all. And I'm not going to be the disciplinarian. But if we live together in the same house, we have to have some common agreement on rules.
0: Absolutely. And
1: if we see something that we don't like, does she say something to my kids? Do I see something to her kids? Yeah. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I think it's harder for people who are divorced that get into those relationships to where, right, now we're going to bring everyone together. Let's see what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. We're getting into to kids and that. And I know that we have other... Things we're going to talk about in the future. And I think uh, talking about kids and and how to have a divorce and also stay connected with your kids, another subject that that I really know a lot of people want to hear about. And uh, if you're listening right now, you're going to round off the podcast. We had a great talk and chat here about dating, and it's fun to talk about. and. In in the future podcast, please let us know. You can uh, email us at uh, rockinglifepodcast at gmail.com. And let let me know, what should we ask Joseph next time? Is it kids? Should we talk about kids? Or should we talk about dating again? tart uh, or should we talk? I know that a few a few people have actually asked that we should d- dive down into a little bit more specifics as well. Wh- when you go through the divorce, these issues that you d- had to deal with, and maybe a little bit more day to day thing. And uh, so, please let us know. Or what do you think, Joseph? What do you want to talk about next time?
1: Honestly, I mean, I'm an open book. The day to day things about divorce. The one thing I can say is it's scared to live in hell out of me.
0: Yeah.
1: Routines is was my biggest fear because I didn't know what the heck to do. Wow. And I think the crock pot is what saved my life. It was like that rompo peel, suddenly forget it. I would just shove everything in a crock pot the night before, stick it in the refrigerator, take it out, plug it in before I went to work. (laughs) And when I got home, dinner was made.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Luckily, my mom forced me and my siblings to learn how to cook. So (laughs) that was actually very good to know and there's a lot of things that that's different when you go through a divorce and uh, i think i understand the question why they want to know a little bit more in detail what's happening and uh, a little bit tips too the crockpot is a good one
1: <laughs> everything i had to learn on my own i used to on sundays i would iron all clothes for the entire week Oh, wow. (laughs) Because I wasn't sure what was going to get thrown at me Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday because of a a schedule or a sport or a weather that might change. You just never know. I have off. Let me just iron all the clothes, even myself.
0: Yeah. So do you iron all your clothes? I just heard from a friend of mine. Or actually... Never again. It's... uh, I forgot her name. I I have her on the podcast and she is Latin. And uh, they always iron all their clothes. But then she married a Caucasian. And she learned she doesn't have to iron all the clothes. And she is so happy.
1: If you spend the extra $5 on a shirt or pair of pants, there's called wrinkle-free.
0: Yeah, exactly. I never <laughs> also, iron my clothes.
1: <laughs> I have them, that extra cycle on my dryer. I can shove my clothes in and it de-wrinkles. Yeah, yeah. No, I have not used the iron. I have a nice spray bottle. Yeah. I spray water on.
0: That's awesome. Uh, It's such a nice time to hang out with you, Joseph. And uh, I have a a quote that uh, I've learned something about. It's called, Life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. What do you think about that quote?
1: It's funny because I was talking about this last night with others. I don't like what happened to me with my divorce and my last relationship. It did help me shape the person that I am. But some roads... The bumps that we hit, I don't like. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: Totally makes sense.
1: But if I didn't have those bumps or those divots, I wouldn't be who I am now. And the relationship that I have now wouldn't be the way that it is. Exactly. I'm grateful to have her in my life. I just wish it was a detour.
0: Yeah. I think when you can learn that life doesn't happen to you, you can have a different perspective on life and uh, a lot of the blaming dissipates when you look at it as it happens for you it becomes part of you but these road bumps or whatever can form you and uh, can help you to the next level and that's what happened to me when I went through divorce I would not be the person I'm right now which I, I feel like I'm in the best place in my life right now partially Thanks to the divorce and also the big hurdles I had to cross because a lot of times you don't change until you have to. Uh, A lot of times it requires you to hit something very unexpected and that's when you're thrown into this unknown and you have to make decisions and you have to start making changes so that is a lot of times when things actually change inside of you and then you have to either decide, okay, no, I'm just not, not going to do anything or I'm going to change.
1: And the one thing that I would love to leave with is after the divorce, if you don't figure out what your patterns are or what your own issues or insecurities are, you're going to date the person that you divorced Yeah. in some form. Yeah. You're going to date your childhood. You married it you're gonna date it also unless you figure out those patterns like i said and i'll say it over and over again if i did not figure out my patterns i would not be where i am right now yeah
0: so that'll be the the little ending of this podcast uh, great chat and uh, i just want to remind you the rocking life podcast we really want you to get help uh, we want to be that help support the podcast in itself i want to be a place of hope where you can uh, listen in, hear the stories, but also that positive outcome and that you, you can take steps, you can join our community on Facebook. Joseph is in the community. He'll, he'll be in there cheering you on and <laughs> I will be cheering you on too in the Facebook community. And uh, you can go into Facebook, search for Rocking Life After Divorce and join us. And just a last word of encouragement, I really... Know that you can make through this. A lot of people feel that this is impossible, but it is actually possible. But take one step at a day. Every day you take one step. Uh, Don't try to to fix everything day one. It's a journey and it's going to take time. It's not going to be overnight. But one step at a time and that's going to be an amazing life that you can create and recreate from now thanks a lot again joseph and i really look forward to the next episode and we'll figure out what that's going to be about but maybe about kids i appreciate thank you bye-bye